So we are going through the playlist, like uh, Alex said. We chose the most obscure songs to try to confuse you guys, and it worked. This is just like being in class. Uh, you don't know what's happening, and uh, you're not being tested on the material that they said you were going to be tested on, and so forth. All right. So this semester, we're going through 13 different songs in the Bible, and we're calling it the playlist. And tonight, the song we're listening to is the prison song, thus the obscure prison music. I, I don't know. Um, but tonight, we're going to take a different approach to our, our message. We have a thing called, a podcast called CSF Scent. And so CSF Scent is just this, uh, we've, what, three years now? Okay, so we've been three years, and it was started by uh, Ben and Alyssa, and Alyssa Kane. She's been graduated for two years now, and so basically the whole idea was that we want to equip and inspire all of you to share your faith, and I don't know how many times we've already heard this semester, I tried to share my faith, and it didn't work well, didn't go well, and I'm never doing that again, you know. It's a scary thing to step out and to share your faith, especially on this campus, because someone may think that you're absolutely crazy. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. We're, we're taking CSF Scent into this room. So the message is going to be a little bit different. I thought it might be appropriate for uh, me to share some embarrassing times of when I shared my faith and it went horribly wrong. And one of the times it actually uh, about got me in serious trouble and it is about gumballs and Mormons. Okay? Uh, one time when I was a kid, my cousin Jacob, who's like my best friend, and I was an only child, that's why I'm so strange, and uh, I was trying to, you know, get him to pray and, you know, to receive Christ, you know, to, to, to uh, you know, talk to Jesus. And so every time I'd give him a gumball, I, we had a gumball machine, he had to say a prayer. So gumball, prayer, gumball, prayer, you know, and he was getting, he was just really getting close to Jesus. I mean, it was happening, not. And then the second time, we were on our way back from, uh, this is the first time I ever baptized somebody, on our back, way back from a, a water park, and there was a kid uh, with hair that was out to here. It was like that curly, just, you know, wild hair that was just sticking, you know, kind of like Logan in high school, if you've seen those pictures. He was like a young Logan, and his name was Alan, and uh, he was Mormon. So I was sharing the gospel with this kid in the car on the way back, and then I would get back to the church, and um, we were in no way ready for a baptism at the church. I think there was stuff growing in the baptismal, you know. You've seen those baptistries that don't, the water doesn't get changed very often. I said, Alan, you need to get baptized right now. He said, okay, and I was 16, and I'm pretty sure he was 13. I'm not sure why my parents, you know, didn't want to, like, talk with us first, but I took him down there and baptized him, and his giant hair all of a sudden was just matted down on his head, you know, and everywhere, and his parents, who were very devout Mormons, were very upset with that um, thing that we did. So um, I think one of the things that's really interesting is that we get into situations where we are in an unlikely time, we're in an unlikely space, and we're thinking, you know, God, I'm going to wait for a better time and a better place to share my faith. But if you look in the Bible, when God was moving and working and doing all the things that God always does throughout history, it's always in a very unlikely time and a very unlikely place 
each and every time that God uses someone uh, to, to be able to put them in the presence of Jesus to be saved. And tonight's passage is exactly that. It's an unlikely time. It's an unlikely space. And I think it's going to encourage us as we get into those um, times uh, and places um, in our lives. So Paul, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his fellow missionaries are planting churches throughout the Mediterranean. They want to go to Asia, but there's like the, the spirit prevents them from going to Asia. And then Paul gets his Macedonian vision. He's supposed to go to Macedonia. And, you know, he didn't want to go to Macedonia. He wanted to go to Asia Minor. He didn't want to go there. And it was not, it was, he ended up going there because of this vision. And they go down by the river to pray. There was no synagogue in that place in Philippi. And there was a group of women that were praying down by the water. And they joined them for prayer. One of them was a woman named Lydia who was a rich businesswoman. We know she's rich because later she hosts everybody in her house. So she had to have a large house. And she was a seller of purple cloth. Then they get accosted on the way back to the place of prayer by this demon-possessed slave girl. And Paul, in the name of Jesus, and her, her, people were making money off of her because she could tell the future. And so Paul, in the name of Jesus, he cast the demon out of this, this girl. And man, her owners were so mad. And it starts this whole thing, which leads to Paul and Silas being beaten with rods. They were beaten with rods so hard and so long that they were just bleeding and they were just, their, their backs were just torn open. They were beaten with rods, then imprisoned, and then placed in stocks. And as it gets night time, it is dark. So what a roller coaster, right? You don't get to go to the place you want to go to plant a church. You end up in this other place that you really didn't want to be in the first place. Then you think things are turning around because these women become Christians at the water. And then uh, the demon-possessed fortune teller thing happens, and you help this girl, and it ends up getting you beaten and bloodied and in prison and in stocks in the dark. And it's like this and that's kind of where we're at. And so we want to ask ourselves this question as we jump into the passage. How would they react? How would they react? And uh, so Josh is going to read our first scripture, verses uh, Acts 16, 23 through 25. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe, safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And don't freak out those people who are like analytical, worried about the next time we're going to read 25 again. That was on purpose. Um, we're going to make a point about that. I know it's going to bother. It would bother me if I was sitting there. They put 25 up there twice. Um, anyway, so the first thing we're going to talk about is that the prison song is a reaction. What do you usually uh, say? When you experience pain and disappointment, um, what is something that you probably can't say that out loud? Because some of us cuss when we experience pain and disappointment. Um, some of us, I want to say, I mean, maybe not all of us cuss, but I think 100% of us complain. Nobody? Anybody? Never complained about a professor or your mom or your grandma? You shouldn't complain about your grandma. That's really not nice. But I think all of us, when we experience pain and disappointment, we cuss and complain constantly. Our initial response isn't, you know what, 
I got to grab my guitar and start singing. I'm ready. I'm, I'm in a place of worship. I've been prepared. I've been thinking. I've been praying. You know, no, we, we don't. You know, many of us, we, we just go straight into complaining and cursing and wondering what in the world's going on and then listening to very questionable music like Alex just played. Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, Alex. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. So th- this, uh, we're going to do two quotes from F.F. F. Bruce's commentary in Acts, and this is one of them. The double discomfort of the lictor's rods and, and the stocks were not, was not calculated to fill Paul and Silas with joy. But around midnight, the other prisoners, as they listened, heard sounds coming from the inmost cell. Sounds not of groaning and cursing, but of prayer and hymn singing. I love this part right here. Uh, this is from one of our early church fathers, Tertullian. The legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven, says Tertullian. What sort of men were these? So some scholars believe that Paul and Silas were singing Psalm 42. So I've asked Olivia to come up, and she's going to read uh, Psalm 42. Give her a hand for being willing to do this. So she's going to read the first eight verses of Psalm 42. Thank you so much, Olivia. Hi, guys. I'm Olivia. (laughs) Okay. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. so much beautiful <clears throat> can't you see them praying that it's like he's talking to his soul you know i think a lot of times we we lit oh yeah follow your heart listen to your heart what's your heart telling you when you're in the stocks and you're bleeding and, and you're um, wrongly imprisoned mm. at night his song is with me a prayer to the god of my life so this is how it's going to work i'm going to ask you a question and then uh, these wonderful people up here, they're going to kind of chime in. And I did not introduce everyone. This is Josh. He's uh, one of our VPs of worship with uh, Lindsay Wood, the amazing Lindsay. I'm Andrew. This is Ben. He majors in physics. So if you have any physics questions, he is not ready. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, I, I usually say chemistry. I get it wrong. This is Taylor. She's one of our, uh, she's uh, graduated from IUPUI, Kelly School of Business, represent 2016. Are we that old? So she was involved in our worship team, and she currently works for the the Colts. Um, So anyway, that's who we are. And so I'm going to ask this question, and uh, we're going to kind of react to it. And so here's the question. How can we prepare ourselves for the reality of pain and disappointment that are headed our way? Ben, you want to answer that question first? Absolutely. 
Yeah, so pain and disappointment, as we're told, is a natural part of life, um, unfortunately, until we die. And then some, if you're not saved, um, according to some readings of the scriptures. So <laughs> it's, clearly a, a, uh, it's clearly an understood thing that we're going to have to deal with. And the best way that I've thought about pain and suffering um, is to kind of split it into three groups of of things. So first, I would say self, because we're all stupid sometimes, and we do things like stub our toe because we're too lazy to turn on the light. I don't think there's any internal, you know, eternal reason for you stubbing your toe. I think that's just us being lazy and dumb, and that happens. So dealing with that pain and suffering is clearly pretty easy. Turn on the light, be wise. Um, so I would attach that to like something like the book of Proverbs. That's a book about both spiritual and regular life wisdom that just keeps you out of those weird pitfalls of being a human. Um, the second that I would say is uh, natural pain and suffering. So that would be something like, um, like for women, childbirth is a natural process of pain and suffering. It's, you can't get away from it. Um, and it's something that you can go back and say sin inflicted, but still it is biology at this point. Um, a hurricane, that's biology. Um, and so I think that the best understanding of those types of pains and sufferings that we see in this world uh, would be looking to the book, um, or the set of books of Paul, uh, where he talks about all of the things that he went through, all the natural disasters, the thorn in his side, which isn't quite understood, but we can understand that it was a physical pain that ailed him. So those don't necessarily also have spiritual meaning. They're just things in this world because we are fallen. No one said that a hurricane needs to hit. It's a thing that we need to deal with, and we deal with that as a community, and I think Paul gives the best examples of those. Um, and then finally, I would say that the inflicted, um, these are the more devious ones where people are broken and cause pain in the world for others. Um, anyone can think of a billion examples of those, and I think that our best understanding also is there are spiritual elements to those people doing things, uh, like in Job, um, where God allows Satan to test Job, and one of those is the three friends that are horrible friends um, to Job and tell him that he needs to just deny Christ and leave, and his wife says the same, or deny God, sorry, and leave, and the, uh, his wife says the same thing. And so I think in those, we need to look at Job's example and see that it's okay to praise God in suffering, just like, uh, I guess, in these stocks. It's um, that pain and suffering that you deal with is, A, temporary, because we're part of a temporary world, and uh, B, that there's always God moving in these, in these pains that you see. Yeah. Um, quite honestly, I think preparing for pain and suffering or disappointment is hard, right? Because you don't know how it's going to come into your life. You don't know if it's going to come from loss or relationships or your job or family. But one thing I've noticed in seasons of pain and disappointment is that in those moments, it becomes really easy to believe the lies of the enemy, to um, take hold of those thoughts that creep into your mind that say, you know what, maybe God isn't as good as you thought he was, or maybe he's not with you in this season, or maybe he's withholding something good from you. But what I've found to be critical is being in the word of God, being in prayer with him on a regular basis, and prioritizing your relationship with God. When you know who the Father is, when those lies creep into your mind, it's easier to speak back to them and say, you know what, I know my God, and my God is good, and he's faithful, and he will never leave me nor forsake me. 
and I know that he can work all things together for the good of those who love him. Um, and I know I grew up in church, so sometimes when you're looking for an answer and you hear pray <laughs> or read the Bible, um, sometimes it can sound like a cliche answer, but it's such a vital part of our, our walk with Christ and our Christianity. Um, and it really is, it's the source of truth. And so when those lies creep in in those seasons, um, it's just crucial to fall back to what you do know to be true. Good luck topping that, Josh. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, that was all good. Uh, I don't know if I could top that, but I'll try my best. Um, so as we were uh, doing prep, uh, the first thing I thought is, why the heck are they singing? That That's so absurd, and that's something just out of the norm. Um, and then it dawned on me um, that they had God at um, the center of their life. Um, they made it a habit to sing and praise God. And so even when trials and tribulations and pain and disappointment, the list goes on, they knew one constant was still there, and that was God. But they also understood that the sin and um, the pain and the disappointment, that's all temporary in this life. And God sent his son, Jesus, to overcome all that. Um, and so a verse or uh, lyric that popped into my head, um, which is from Marty Mullins uh, from the song, No Hold On Me. Uh, it says, no more shackles on my feet. The devil's got no hold on me. And I think that's how Paul and Silas were living. Like, they're like, man, they can't keep us in this prison. Like, who cares? You know, we got a big God. You know, he'll take care of us. Um, so, yeah, they understood, like, the pain and the disappointment were only temporary, and that had no measure to the amount of joy that they experienced worshiping God. And then with it, uh, one thing that popped into my head, um, well, actually, the first thing that popped into my head was one day me and Sydney were uh, walking down the street, and Sydney just starts singing, just out of the blue. And I was like, all right, he's singing. And people were walking by. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> we're on a IUPUI campus. I don't hear worship songs walking down the sidewalk to people. People probably think we're crazy. That's okay. Um, but Sydney was just singing, and he didn't care what people were thinking, right? And uh, he knew he was just worshiping God. And I think that's the kind of mentality that we have to have is it doesn't matter what circumstance we're going through. As long as we keep um, God number one and uh, just seek to glorify him, then it'll all work out. So, yeah. So good. All right, so let's read the next part of our passage, Acts 16, 25 through 29. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. So the prison song was a reaction. The prison song is powerful and effective. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake. God shook the place in response to their prayers and their singing. Isn't that cool? I picture them singing like the last, like that, what Olivia just read, 
at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. You know, it's like they're, they're singing, they're, they're worshiping. And one of the things that we really kind of talked about was that they were completely in the dark. They're in the dark. They can't see. They can't see any way out of their situation. All hope is lost. And they're singing, and the ground starts shaking. So eventually, and I want to stress this, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later as well, eventually doing things Jesus' way is going to bring about powerful opportunities that you cannot explain. You won't be able to sit down in your chemistry lab and figure it out. It's just not going to happen. God's going to do something supernatural that is just beyond our comprehension to provide an opportunity. In this case, the foundations were shaken, the doors flew open, and their chains came loose. So the question I have for these three is, what powerful opportunities has God given you as a result of your singing? Uh, Taylor, you want to start us off with that? Um, the first example that comes to mind in my life was a time where um, it quite literally felt like I was singing a prison song. Music's always been a big part of my life and um, worship and leading worship. Um, and there was a season of my life where I just felt like I was running in circles, like I was hitting dead ends. I was looking for direction from God um, in all areas of life, in my job, in relationships, in church and ministry. And I felt like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. And um, there happened to be a job opportunity that came up. I wasn't looking for a job. It was presented to me. I saw it on social media, too. And um, I really wanted it, and I didn't want to want it because I had just came out of um, a really disappointing relationship that I was questioning and not understanding God's direction in it, and so I didn't want to want something else that would allow disappointment to creep back into my life, and so I tried to ignore it, but I was talked into applying for the job. I got an interview, thought I totally bombed it, got a second interview. Um, they were really transparent with me, said, hey, we need to make a decision by the end of the week. You'll have a yes or a no. Well, the end of the week came. Um, I heard nothing from them. The next week came. I tried not to think about it, but I couldn't stop thinking about it because I really wanted it. And I was in such a mentally rough spot that one day after work, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of this. I got in my car and I drove for hours. Like, I found a back road just kept driving, and I was blaring The Blessing by Carrie Jobe, that entire album. If you've not heard it, I highly recommend it. It is powerful, but also intimate. And I just kept singing those songs until I was believing the songs that I was singing. And I finally got to a place in my car where I just broke and started bawling and said, God, I'm yours. Whatever you're doing with me, I'm yours. I want to want what you want. And if this job is not it, please shut the door. It hurts when doors shut, but please shut it. And if it is your will, please open the door and give me the boldness to walk through it. And it was a breakthrough moment for me in my walk with Jesus because I was running from that vulnerability with him and from being honest with him for a long time. And it was a few days after that I got the job offer. And I still have the screenshot. Um, of the job opportunity that I sent my friend and said, hey, this is my dream job, but I have no shot at it. And when I got the job offer, I was working at a sports complex at the time, and I went in the middle of a couple of soccer fields that were empty and just bawled my eyes out and talked to Jesus and said, God, thank you. I've never felt so seen that he 
so intricately cared for the desires of my heart, even though it was it seemed like just a job. But from that job, I had so many amazing opportunities and conversations to talk to my coworkers about the love of Jesus and his example in my life by even getting the job in the first place. Um, but it took me really just saying I've had it and <laughs> getting in the car and driving for hours and just singing at the top of my lungs until, uh, until I met Jesus. Yeah, so um, my the most salient example of this in my mind is freshman year, before COVID, when people like still talk to each other on campus, um, We, um, I was hanging out in my dorm, uh, and a friend of mine who we had a class together, so we knew each other, at least academically, not like clo close friends, but um, we just started chatting, and for kind of the first time on campus, I was unabashedly open about like Christianity and my faith, and um, we. St I mean, the conversation started political, which isn't exactly the best start if you want to get deep and intimate and like intellectual, but it did. Um, surprisingly, he was a very intelligent guy, and so it was fun to talk, and uh, it turned into like a three-hour conversation, and um, you know, the first hour was just weird earthly things so to speak and then we started talking more about like well what are your thoughts on afterlife or eternity um what are your thoughts on like human beings like why are they different from animals or whatever and he's uh still is unfortunately but um at that time as well he was a, a very deterministic evolutionary um uh, minded and so it was we were coming from very different positions but it just gave me a lot of confidence to be able to talk about um, what I think uh, as opposed to what I've been taught, which I think was one of the more important breakthroughs of that discussion. Um, and yeah, it wouldn't have happened if I, if I hadn't been quote unquote prison singing um, and being, being willing to talk about light in the darkness. Josh. Why do you keep making me go last and trying to top these? That's so rude. Un unbelievable. <laughs> um, but so I have a question for all you. Uh, has anybody worked in a factory or construction before? Okay. Okay, a few. All right. So then you guys I can relate with. <coughs> so I have an internship with uh, Crown Equipment. Uh, it's a factory. We manufacture forklifts, blah, blah, blah. Anyways. Um, <coughs> so if you've worked in a factory in our construction uh, environment, it's not the most Christian-friendly environment, and you meet some interesting, in layman's terms, crackheads. Um, <coughs> anyways, they uh, so being an example of Christ is a little difficult, um, especially when you're going in day in and day out and constantly having to have encounters with these people. Um, and they also like to complain and bigger about a lot of crap. Oh, sorry. Shouldn't use that word, but anyways, uh, yeah, we'll bleep that out. Yeah, um, <coughs> so um, so yeah, it's it's very challenging um, at times to have conversations, especially uh, the fact that they know I'm a Christian. Uh, so they've kind of labeled me in a sense, um, and I try to do my best to uh, just love them and uh, show them the love of Christ and. Um, Try not to react in bickering and complaining uh, as much as I can. Um, but anyways, with that, it's, it's almost oppressive in a sense that 
you're kind of like an outcast almost, like you don't act or say things uh, like coworkers would. Um, and it kind of makes you feel a little different. Um, so with that, um, I've been posed with a lot of unique questions, and I actually was posed with uh, two conspiracy theories about uh, Jesus and Mary this week, which was interesting. Um, but if you know my background, I enjoy apologetics, and um, I love those tough questions. Um, and so when I was having this conversation um, with this student on campus, actually, um, I've, I've heard very similar conspiracies at work, but I, was, um, I told her, I was like, I'm not a professional in this, and I've, this is the first time I've heard this, so I'm going to tread light on this. Give me a week or two. I'll come back with some answers. So right now I'm in the process of researching it, and if you've ever heard one of these conspiracies, please come up and talk to me because I'd like to know. Um, <coughs> but anyways, when I left that conversation, or that conversation, I was put, I put in uh, worship music, and I just had the biggest grin on my face. Like, I knew I didn't have the answers right then and there, but, like, I've been around the block enough with these questions that God always has an answer, and it always points back to him, whether they want to accept it or not. Um, so I would just encourage you, like, in those tough uh, questions uh, in your workplace or wherever it may be at school, um, when you're feeling oppressed or you're feel like you're in prison per se, um, don't sweat it. Uh, just do your research and I'll guarantee that it points back to God. So, and I think one of the things that's really wild about this and all three of them, you know, some of you live in the tower. That happened in the tower, right? Um, while you guys were eating tower waffles? No? Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but the cool thing about Taylor's story uh, that I can personally testify is that she gets the job with the college football playoff. She helped put on the, the college football playoff for, and did that for a whole year, right? And uh, that would happen in Indianapolis, the national championship for college football. And uh, one of our current students last, well, last year who graduated, he actually worked with Taylor. He didn't know that we knew her. She didn't know that we knew him. He was like a you know, he was there to spy on her to see if she was really following Jesus. And it was really wild. We were talking one day, and I said, oh, Taylor Sidwell, you know, she, he's like, man, she is the real deal. She really loves Jesus. She's actually following Jesus. He's like, I don't know how many people are supposed to be Christians, and they're not living out their faith. And I, then she tells me that story, and I'm like, holy moly. God was, like, preparing her for that moment, and she was just shining so bright that Luke... Uh, raspberry he knew that she followed jesus man what an awesome testimony so this is our last uh, pat, uh, part of the passage verses 30-34 then he brought them out and said sirs what must i do to be saved and they said believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved you and your household and they spoke the word of the lord to him and to all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Isn't it wild, like, often God doesn't usually give us a list, he just gives us a story. I don't know how many older people do this to me. I have a really life-altering question I'm going to ask them, and I say, 
what should I do? And they tell me a story. I don't want to hear a story. I want to, I want to list a step process of how this is going to work. You know, and I think sometimes we need the story. Jesus told stories, and through, all throughout the Bible, we see all these stories. They're not just there to, like, entertain us. They're there to teach us. We're there to learn. We're there to soak it in. And so the plan was not to escape. Isn't that interesting? The earth shakes. Everything is open for them to step out of the dark and to run as fast as they could away from that prison. But instead, they just stayed put. They had been placed in the prison cell so that the Philippian jailer and his entire family could be saved. They had been prevented from going to Asia to meet a woman named Lydia, to baptize her in her household, and then turn around, get beaten half to death, go into the dark, and so that this man and his family could find and follow Jesus. Otherwise, they would have jetted, just like Peter did in Acts chapter 12, the same kind of thing happens, and then the Peter's so sound asleep, he's like some of you getting up in the morning, getting ready to go to class at 9 a.m., and the, the, the angel has to hit him to wake him up, to get him out of there. There's no angel here. There's no, like, guidance to get out of the cell. Everything is provided for them to escape, but they are, they are to stay put and to save this man's life and to save his eternal life. And so here's how it broke down. Here's your list, right? First thing that happened was a question. This was to show the recognition of need. And you got to pay attention to this when you're in the tower or you're in the um, engineering building or innovation hall or wherever you're at on campus. Listen for the questions. The question that he heard, now this is like saying sick him to a dog to a Christian sharing their faith. What must I do to be saved? And I think this is kind of all the hard work that we do on the on the backside of this before this question is asked takes years but in this moment it was happening quick so you just wonder what was going on in this jailer's life before this moment someone was working on this guy and because it takes time so there he gives a quick response uh, they give a Paul and size give a quick response believe in Jesus and you will be saved then they give the long response and the Bible never shows us the long response. Like with the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip in Acts chapter 8. He speaks Jesus to him as they're going along in the chariot. We don't get that transcript. Why do we not get that transcript? I want to see that. I want to know what they said. I want to know what he, sh- he shared Jesus. Uh, but we're not given like this, this template to use. Instead, we're supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be ready. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. And then we see the sign of repentance. Um, they, uh, the, the jailer takes and he washes their wounds. I always think of Nicodemus taking the bloodied body of Jesus down off the cross. You know, him and Joseph of Arimathea just washing the wounds. That's just so moving. And then the baptism. The repentance and the baptism. Immediately he and all his household were baptized. Some of you need to make that decision. Some of you haven't made that decision yet. You need to. And then the last one, they're not done yet. Hospitality. He sets a meal before them. They have a meal together. Who thought in the dark, singing their songs, bloodied from being beaten with rods, that they would be eating a meal? And then the sanctification. He was filled with joy. Chrysostom, another early church father, said this. He washed and was washed. He, was washed, he washed them from their stripes 
and was himself washed from his sins. For most of us, this won't happen overnight. You won't have a three-hour conversation in the tower, and then someone's like, all right, let's go to the natatorium and get baptized. Maybe that will happen tonight. I don't know. I don't know if the natatorium's open. But um, you find a way. The canal's probably not a good idea. I know you were thinking that. You might get arrested. That might be worth it, though, to do a baptism. I don't know. Yeah, where, yeah, you don't want to be baptized. Yeah. Um, it'll take years of persistence, love, and prayer. Don't get discouraged if someone seems disinterested or they're kind of rude when you try to share your faith. You do it in the best way that you possibly can. You look for these opportunities, um, just like we talked about in the passage, and then you step out in faith. We've got to be set for the long haul. And we are completely out of time. I knew that this would happen. And so, uh, Taylor, would you like to share your story, and then we can close out in, in prayer? Uh, Sydney was wanting to sing a song. Is Sydney in here still? Okay, so we're going to sing. Uh, we're going to listen to Taylor's story, and then, Sydney, how about you come up and get your guitar ready and, and to go here, and then we can um, listen to Taylor's story here. Can you remind me what question I'm answering? Yes, yes. I had a friend in high school. We were friends freshman year, um, really close, had some opportunities to share my faith with her a little bit. She seemed intrigued, um, but not ready to commit to anything. After freshman year, um, we kind of went our separate ways. She got in with a crowd that I was not cool enough to be a part of um, and probably couldn't be a part of. Um, Years went by, but as we went through high school, anytime I saw her in the hallway, I just felt pressed that I needed to be intentional about saying hi to her, just saying, how are you doing? Because freshman year, getting to know her a little bit, I knew about her her home life and her family situation, and she was carrying a lot of burdens with her. Um, so I tried to be intentional just to say hi and be friendly. Um, but I remember one time in particular, my senior year of high school, um, you know, you're a senior, you made it to the cool table, everybody, you know, is sitting together, and I went to sit down at the senior table and I saw this girl on the completely other side of the cafeteria sitting by herself and looking pretty upset. And I just immediately picked up my tray and my friends were like, where are you going? And I was like, I don't know, she looks upset. She probably doesn't want to talk to anybody, but I need to go sit with her just so she's not by herself. And I went and sat with her. There was no profound conversation to be had. We pretty much sat there in silence, but I felt like I was where I needed to be. Fast forward, we graduate. I don't hear from her again after graduating. Um, it's probably almost a year had went by, and I didn't even know she still had my number, but I got a text from her that said, Taylor, I just got baptized, and I needed to let you know because I knew you would be excited about it, and I just wanted to thank you for always being kind and for seeing me. And that was the most humbling text that I've ever gotten in my life because sometimes in your walk with Christ, you do stick out. We're called to be separate from the world. Um, you're not made to fit in. Um, that's not how God designed it. And sometimes in your walk, you're like, man, God, what am I doing? Like, is it even making a difference? Are people even noticing? And uh, my encouragement to you is that they are noticing. They do notice um, when you're singing your prison song. So um, that was a profound moment in my life. I hope it encourages you guys um, to know that keep living out your faith in front of people. And um, I promise they notice and God's faithful. <laughs>